Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is My Truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I speak with Andy Fling. Um, I had spoken to Andy uh, in season two uh, in September or early October of 2017 when I was on my uh, cross-country trip visiting all 48 of the lower states. I spoke with him and his girlfriend Zora Lundgren in Seattle, Washington at the Mojito's restaurant. And uh, uh, Andy was back here in New Hampshire uh, for a visit, so I took the opportunity to see him. I mean, I wanted to see him anyways because he and I have been friends for 30 years, but it was uh, it was great to catch up with him. He was talking about uh, a role-playing game that he is uh, he's working on uh, with uh, two partners, one of them being Kevin Berenger, who has also been on this podcast before. So, um, yeah, uh, we met at White Heron Coffee in Portsmouth, where I have recorded several times, and then... Uh, Eric Doucette was there. Uh, th- th- you might hear a voice in the background a little bit. That was Eric's voice. And uh, uh, at the end, uh, you know, Andy was going into Portsmouth to do some more work on his uh, uh, role-playing game. And I gave Eric a lift to to uh, go pick up his car. And on the way, we uh, literally almost bumped into uh, uh, Michael Venn who has been on this podcast twice already. So, I mean, you know, Portsmouth is a small town, so see familiar faces a lot. But, uh, yeah, this was great catching up with Andy and, uh, yeah, just kind of hanging out and chatting. So enjoy this conversation with Andy Floyd. gonna be like man you got a lot of shit to to delete to backpedal no and that's the thing now it's on by the way um uh, no that's the biggest thing is like i don't edit these or whatnot so like i did so there's one well like i said most of the time when i record these i know you know i have some sort of relationship or so and so i did one with a person and i won't name them uh and this isn't to shame them but it was one of those things that uh they had reached out to me a couple times about wanting to do the podcast and it was I was like sure absolutely I mean when I first started doing this I made a list you know I had a list in my head I was just like well there's like 15 or 20 people I'd like to talk to let me sit down and write out the list and I physically made the list and I had a list of like 150 names Uh, and it's you know I gotta find which notebook that's written in because I had been crossing them off as I went, but I also like added a bunch of names and also like pretty much if anyone reaches out to me mm-hmm. and I can make it work, I'll do it just because I'm just like yeah, there's gonna be people in my radius that I a wouldn't necessarily think would want to do this, but um, if someone wants to talk, I you know I'll sit down and have a conversation, but. And this was someone that I knew through different artists, and we had a really great, candid conversation, and a lot of it was specifically about their struggles with mental health mm-hmm. and about how, you know, there's so much stigma about talking about it, and, you know, it thinks it's important to 
to, to normalize the conversation, which which I totally agree with. And you know, it was a great great conversation. And afterwards, I you know, I was like, hey, thanks. And probably twenty hours later, like four in the morning, I get a text. Hey, it was so great to talk to you. By the way, can you maybe not release that episode? And I was like, and and I didn't. Yeah. Um, and I can sort of understand it, but it was also like. <laughs> I'm like you asked me to do but yeah. like and it's not like I ask like tricky questions like sure you know and that's the thing like when I've asked people to do this before they're like who like people who haven't necessarily listened to it or whatnot they're like what kind of questions what should I be prepared for I'm like oh I don't prepare it it's yeah. which you know part, partly laziness but also it's just like I really like the arc of a conversation and it's like I don't know like if, if it's approached as an interview is I need to glean information from it it's I mean yeah you, I'm probably going to get most of the, the information I'm looking for but it's not like a natural conversation it's just a bullet points thing so right. you know I don't know there have there's, there's only been I mean because this is probably like the 75th or thereabouts episode and there's only been two where I was like struggling to like chat about I was like okay then uh, what about this yeah. but most of the time it was like oh fuck an hour and a half's gone by yeah. um, we could talk for another hour but I gotta do X Y and Z so, yeah uh, yeah that reminds me do you do you have the painting for um, Bloom yeah it's in the uh, it's in, in the, the car. car okay awesome. yeah yeah um yeah, I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know if it's going to... I mean, it's not super, super big, but... Uh, I have plenty of space. Yeah, cool. I brought a, I brought cool. a huge bag. Cool. And I have that watercolor oh. Black Rabbit painting nice. in the car, too. It was nice. funny because, like, I didn't dislike the first one that I did, but it wasn't quite... I, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was like, ah, it's not quite what I was going for. Uh, I... Um, I really liked the sketch that you made before you even put it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when I've been doing, like, because I've been doing a lot more watercolor now than acrylic, and I feel like I'm getting a lot more emotion out of the sketches from that. And then it's, and it's basically like, it's more like I'm coloring in drawings with watercolor rather than do, like, doing a watercolor painting sure. you know and I, I, I don't know like I feel like I, I'm at a point now where I'm doing a lot of interesting work with that and then when I do acrylic stuff I'm like ah it's it's so not so limiting but I can't quite get as much detail into it like a lot of it kind of gets lost in the translation oh. so and that's one of those things that I'm like, all right, well, how do I... I mean, the nice thing about doing acrylic versus watercolor is I can kind of borrow technique and learned experience from one and bring it to the other. Or when I see an image and I decide I want to paint it, I have the option of, oh, I could do it this way, I could do it that way. But I do feel like for the last six months, I've been doing so much watercolor that that's up on another... Like, like I've moved up another level in my... Like ability with that, where acrylic, I'm still sort of at a different different level. So, because mm-hmm. the first one I did was on the black canvas was mm. acrylic, where the, the the one that I did 
actually did it here uh, like two days ago. It's just it's watercolor. What did you use? Did you use chalk or charcoal or something for the sketch? No, just just pen. Uh, you mean for the for the original one? Or yeah, the, the first one that you did. Uh, it's just pencil, pencil uh, but okay. it's on black canvas. So if you get it, yeah. If I take a basically, if I take a picture of it in the right light and then oh, put a okay. little bit of a filter on it, it, it has like kind of like a purplish, bluish look to it. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. And I've actually one of the things I've joked I joked a couple times because uh, I, I paint on black canvas a lot. Um, they sell it at Michaels. That's where it's funny. I have such a love hate relationship with Michaels because they have most of the stuff that I use. There's actually um, I can't think of the name of it. There's a there's a chain of art supply stores that's in Boston that I like them better and they have better stuff, but they're not around here. So basically, whenever I go to Boston. I'll drop like 40 bucks and getting stuff I can't get there but like Michael's has all the stuff and it's they're not reasonably priced but they have coupons every week for at least 40% off so oh, wow. so then it becomes reasonably priced yeah um, and it's funny because when I worked for the watch repair company five days a week mm-hmm. I went into Michael's pretty much every day and bought one thing with a 40% off coupon like, <laughs> the whole reason they do the coupon is they get you to buy one thing and they're like oh they're here they'll buy like six other things because right. most sane humans don't go to the store once every day for a week <laughs> um, well the person that I'm supposed to uh, podcast with just I just missed a call from her, so we'll see uh, what's going on. Is that the the girl you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Was she in a Darwin's Waiting Room show? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so I was thinking maybe. I'll I'll show you. Right here. Um, I gotta say hi to someone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's an. There's an incel hanging on behind us. Uh, <laughs> that we just we just paused so 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 Andy could say hello to Trevor Bartlett, who yeah. who I've been trying to get on this podcast for a while, um, and he just won't do it. And, uh, it's, well, he I forget what when I first asked him he was doing something for the music hall and he's like oh is it for that I'm like I mean it could be that's not why not necessarily you can pull that table over if you want. We're uh, yeah, maybe I won't even mention his name. Yes, I'm yeah. recording. I bet you did. That's great. Like, well, it's a the directional <laughs> mic uh, won't pick you up, anyways. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I actually met Trevor and I have been Facebook friends for quite some time, but uh, we know each other through Heather Whitford and her husband Todd mm-hmm. yeah he actually just did did you see the black rabbit mask that he did um, no oh god it's amazing um, is it a painting no it's a, it's a leather mask oh that, the mask yes yeah, yeah. Trevor yes I yeah, have yeah. seen that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I commented on that yeah well, it was funny because, like, I saw him working on it, and I was like, oh, I'd really like to own that. And, like, I, you know, they're doing an auction for mm. Seacoast Rep, I think. Uh, is that what it is? Nice. I, and, and if I'm wrong about that, Trevor, I apologize. It's, 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 some, it's a fundraiser for one of the nonprofit art organizations here in town. Yeah. And so I clicked on the auction, and it was like, 
way higher than I, I, I had. Not not that it's not worth it. I just did not. Being an artist myself, I did not have the budget for that. Yeah. Well, that's that's what charity auctions are for. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I love I love it. Trevor does. I've seen all so much of the stuff he's done for just the Halloween parade. And, yeah. I mean, he's well, so good. My friend Abby is one of the, the people who's in charge of the Halloween parade committee too. So like, you know, I, I, I've gotten to see sort of the, some of the behind the scenes stuff with what goes on in that. So yeah. yeah. Um, did, and I saw the one where he was the marshal and they were doing the Mad Max theme yeah. kind of, that was, yeah. that was great. Yeah. It's pretty great. Um, God, it's, I don't know if we're going to get another Mad Max. I mean, I'm not, I can't get too discouraged because it took so long to make Fury Road and also like up until like two years before it came out nobody even knew that they were working on another Mad Max so it was like oh when are they going to make one but, but you know I know a couple of people are like oh god it's taking them forever to do it I'm like well they finished shooting a Fury Road like like you know 50 months before it came out it took so, you know there was so much editing oh, going editing, on yeah yeah um, that movie is just like I I consider it one of those movies that it's what film was meant to be right it's like it's just there's no fat on it it's so well done it's so funny too cause like I when it was in theaters like I became like obsessed with it and was like would talk about it with almost anyone who yeah. would listen and our friend Christine, uh, when I was talking to her about, because I was talking about how, what, you know, and and, and I recognize being a uh, straight white male. My my opinion on this is like basically null and void, anyways. But I was like, for me, it's such a strong feminine statement. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was talking about that, and she's like. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get any of that from it. She's like, I guess I could see that. She's like, you know, I was just like loud. I like explosions, right? Yeah. She's like, I guess it was okay. <laughs> uh, uh, they didn't have any blueberries for you. <laughs> what did you? Uh, what'd you get? A what? I don't. I don't know the words that you're saying. Hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. Yeah. I thought he said hardcore fun. <laughs> I did the first one. Yeah, yeah. He did a shot of hardcore fun and then got the hot cocoa. Right. Yeah. Chaser. Yeah. Um, did you see the BBC slash Netflix Watership Down? I started it. And That's kind of how I felt. And I really like the voice cast. Yeah. The problem was, for me was like the animation was just... It reminded me, A, of a video game, and it reminded me of a video game from, like, 2004. Yeah. Like, it very stilted, like, not... And, and especially for a movie about... <laughs> that takes place almost entirely in nature, it felt completely unnatural. Yeah. Um, and it's funny... I thought the original captured that kind of sense of a hell of a lot better. Oh, yeah. Than the, and yeah. even for the limited animation style from the original, I felt it was... It felt more lived in than yeah. this. I mean, yeah. I got through that other one, but it was just like, and it's weird because it was like, you know, it was almost four hours long with the all the parts. 
and it still left out an incredible amount. For, I mean, it's a huge book, yeah. but um, it was also weird too because Kaha, the because I mean Zero Mostel did his voice in the, the original. Oh, I didn't one. know that. Yeah, and he did like a kind of a Russian Slavic sort of yeah, accent. and and he's very. Um, Scottish in the in yeah. this one, yeah, which I think is truer to the book. But I, like, I had such a strong impression of the bird from the original yeah. film that I was just like, meh. Oh my god, I had no idea Zero Musto yeah. did that, and it was one of the last things he ever did. Oh Jesus, that's amazing. Much like uh, you know, Orson Welles in the Transformers movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, wasn't. Um, um, well, Nimoy did one of the voices too, and then he's oh, really? he's admitted that because Nimoy did a really good Orson Welles impression, and because Orson Welles actually died before they were finished doing oh, that, shit. so he's admit he admitted years later that some of the Orson Welles I'm doing air quotes voice is actually Leonard Nimoy doing um, Orson Welles. Um, uh, it's so fun because I only saw the Transformers movie once. And I'm pretty sure I saw it too, but I have absolutely no memory of it. It's, well, I was never a huge Transformers fan. I mean, I liked them, but it was just like, it wasn't, you know, when I was a kid, it was Star Wars and G.I. Joe. And the whole point of the movie was, like, because they killed off, sorry, spoiler, uh, they killed off almost all the Autobots in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie. And the whole reason for that was... uh, um, they wanted to ref- refresh the toy line. So they're like, oh yeah, if we'll get rid of them and introduce new heroes. The kids will want the new hero toys. But the kids were just horrified that all their heroes had just been murdered in front of them. Yeah. So Yeah, they didn't think that one through. No. No, which is why they brought back Optimus Prime like a year later in the cartoon. Um, I saw a pretty great shirt the other day. It was, you know, Optimus Prime, but instead of the the blue and red paint scheme, it was blue and white, and it said Amazon Prime on the top. It was pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah. So speaking of um, Leonard Nimoy, yeah, um, I was talking to someone else about him. It's, it's, he's done so few things, um, <laughs> including the the. Um, what is it, the Ode to Bilbo Baggins? The, the, yeah, the Ode to Bilbo Baggins record. <laughs> but I was talking to this guy, um, this younger guy at work, and he'd never seen the, I can't remember if it's the 1970s or 1980s um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think it's the 70s one. 70s, yeah. yeah. Leonard Nimoy is in that one. And um, I mean, that's, that's such a, I haven't gone back to it, so I don't know if it holds up, but it's that cast with uh, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy, um, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it's like that's. I'm, I really want to watch it again to see if it holds up because it's and it's a fucking freaky. That is a terrifying movie. Like yeah. the, the the atmosphere is so suspenseful and and it just keeps you on the edge of the seat the entire time. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's probably been fifteen years since I saw it because I saw there was a version. There was a version with Gabrielle and Anwar that came out in like 96, 97 yeah. just called Body Snatchers yeah. which was actually it was decent for that time period but like I had heard of Invasion of the Body Snatchers at 
time and hadn't seen any of them, and I just assumed this was it. Yeah. And I watched it, and I was like, I thought this was an older movie, and... Yeah, it's actually, actually the 1970s one is a remake. Right, yeah. I think the first one was... What, 50s? 50s or 60s. Like 56 or something like black that. black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it brought me down a rabbit hole that I went back and saw the 70s one, and yeah. then... And I and I, pref- I actually prefer the '70s one to the original. Um, and it's funny, like I don't know. Well, I mean, you would probably you might have an opinion on this. I've talked to some people about it because, like, so for my movie podcast, because I had Movie Pass for a while, where I could literally see a movie every day for you know one price, and they changed it. So I'm not going to as many movies in the theater now as I used to. But so I'm kind of filling in gaps of stuff that like I should have seen quote unquote because like you know people bring up movies all the time and I'll be like I've actually never seen that and they're like what like certain things like like I finally got around to seeing American History X or not American History X I've seen that uh, American Psycho Uh, I had never seen it but and that was one of the rare ones where I actually had actively avoided it because I hate Brett Easton Ellis the the novelist who the book was based on but and it's one of those movies that so many people like I loved it and it's I don't know yeah, I was just like meh when I watched it but it was also it's 19 years old sure and I mean it's supposed to be sort of a dark satire anyways but like with film like particularly comedy but also horror and sci-fi I feel like they build on everything that's come before them so if you see something relatively new that was influenced by something else and haven't seen the thing that it was influenced by then you go back and watch it it's not going to have the same impact as if you saw it the original time and place sure sure like I saw Animal House for the first time like five years ago and I was like I can recognize that this was a cornerstone of American comedy but like I, I think I laughed like twice the yeah, whole time it's not very good yeah and I was also like I'm one of the few people that I was like never that into Belushi uh-huh. but and, and again I recognize that he brought so like he was an influence on so many people but I, I, I was into Saturday Night Live Belushi but right. that, his, his film stuff was not that great yeah he's not I mean he wasn't a tremendous I don't know like he was more of a performer than a creator, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And like, when he was part of the creative process in films, I was just like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's part of my disdain for uh, Chris Farley too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, be, being a, being a big guy myself, like it, I always like when a comedian that's their whole thing is I'm big and dumb and fat watch me destroy things I'm like that, that's all you got and you're making us all look bad man yeah it's like come on you need more John Candies yeah yeah cause I don't remember you know I was looking back on his career a little while ago and I'm like I don't remember if there were any roles that he played were they were specifically written for a fat guy, like John Candy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, like the, I mean, they, every once in a while, a, there would be like a fat big joke, joke or yeah, something. But, but like even Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, like it's his person. Like he's got a ridiculous personality. It's not because he's a big guy that right. he's that way. It's because it's nothing to do with his weight. Yeah, um, and he was also one of the first like. 
when he started branching out and doing dramatic stuff as well, I was just like, oh, okay, that's really cool. I was, I mean, and then he died way too young. Um, I was going to say John Goodman, but I think John, other than the Coen brothers, John Goodman's pretty much always been known more for drama than for comedy. Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, I mean, he was in Roseanne. Yeah, I think it's I think it's been a pretty even cue. Pretty balanced between the two. Yeah. Um, we saw him on Broadway in 1985 in Big River, the Huckleberry oh. Finn thing. I mean, it was, I think it was like two years before Roseanne started, because I think Roseanne started in 87. Wow. Um, like, I had no idea who he was, yeah. and then we had the cast reporting that we listened to for years, and then it wasn't probably till 10 years later that I put two and two together. Because he only he played Pap, mm-hmm. Huckleberry Finn's father, and he only sings one song on the album. So, and it was because there's, I think he says, "Son of a bitch and bastard" in the song. We had to skip it on our family road trips. Yeah. So it was like you know, like nine year old me. It was like the most punk rock show tune <laughs> ever. Yeah. But. The only reason it was because your folks would. Right. Well, you, words only have the power you give them. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, it was funny because, and I've, I'm sure I've told you this anecdote before, but like when I had my record store in Arizona, you know, years ago, my mom, you know, one time we were talking, she's like, what is it? What's the obsession with music for you still to this day? And I was just like, well, if you just let me have my Motley Crue tapes in junior high school, it would have been a phase. But, you know, you imprinted on my mind that, you know, because I wasn't allowed to, that this was some sort of, like, holy, you know, uh, unattainable thing, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think that she heard you when you said that? Probably at the time, no. It's funny. We, I mean, we have interesting conversations now, but it was like, because Netflix just put out that Motley Crue The Dirt movie you didn't watch I would, it I haven't watched it either. it's yeah. terrible oh, I mean and of all the movies like I've reviewed for my podcast that's the one that I've gotten the most ire from people about because people are like it was actually really good I'm like it was not <laughs> I was like I'm just looking at it from an objective point of view I'm like it's a horribly made film I mean Jeff Tremaine directed it who he did all the jackass movies and I mean he's not a director he's a He's, he's a documenter. I don't even use the word documentarian because he's just someone who points a camera at stuff. And it's, I mean, I will say it was slightly better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and I know, and that, that was the other thing a lot of people got upset at me about it. And I was just like, yes, it was entertaining. It's not accurate at all. Right. Um, and I thought Rami Malek did an amazing job as Freddie Mercury, but it's not a good movie at all. I mean, it just hits all they the... They left out a lot. They left out a lot. They changed a lot. And it's... I mean, it just hits all the basic biography notes you have sure. to do in a biographical film. At least with the Motley Crue movie, like, they'll show something on screen and then someone will break the fourth wall and turn to the camera and be like, so that didn't actually happen that way, but we're making a 90-minute movie, so this person and this person have been combined into this character, and 
while their story might be interesting, it's not our story, so we don't give a shit. Uh, and I was just like, at least I like respect the yeah. fact that they're owning what they're doing sure. with That's it. Good. And That's like, good. it's funny because when they'll do that, they'll be like, this person is actually these two people, and two people will appear on screen for a second, yeah. and then they'll be like, no, oh, we got rid of them, and then they disappear again. Do you remember the, did you see the movie um, that was um, a biopic of... Of, uh, is that the right word? Bio? Yeah. Of um, uh, he worked for National Lampoon, um, and the guy from Community played Chevy Chase, and uh, he was he was one of the founders of National Lampoon. The guy from Community played Chevy Chase. Yeah. Do you mean Chevy Chase? Yeah. Well, that's no, no. It was oh, uh, the, the main main guy character. plays Jeff. Uh, yeah. But, uh, Joel McHale. Yeah. Is it is it recent? It came out last year, I think. Last year. Yeah, you should you should look for it. Huh. Um, I'll try and find the, the name for it, but um, it was really good. And and there because there it was supposed to be, you know, the the uh, a, not a documentary, but right. It's a movie about this guy, right? And they, I, if I'm remembering correctly, they did the same kind of thing where right. they be like, you know, we, this obviously this guy can't do Chevy Chase, but. He's the actor we got, so right. fuck you. Uh, a futile and stupid gesture. Got you. Yes, that's it. That's it. With yep. uh, I can't yep. think of that actor's name. Uh, Will Arnett. <laughs> yeah, no, not not no, Will no. Arnett. Will Arnett's from Arrested Development. Right. Um, Will Forte. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's he's fantastic in it. He's one of those because he, I haven't seen it, but I've heard Last Man on Earth is a really good show, and he's on that. Yeah, I I only watched the first season, I think, but it was funny. He's it, he's popped up and stuff over the years, and I was just like, oh, this guy. And he never really stuck out to me on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, this guy does solid work. Yeah, he's good. Um, yeah, then you'll you'll really you'll really dig that. Nice. Good. Um, it's funny because I've already forgot the name, but when I listen to this, I'll write it down. <laughs> um, we were talking about uh, the rise of Skywalker as we were walking in. You've seen the, the teaser, right? You've seen the teaser yeah. trailer. Yeah. How are you? You know, what are your what are your thoughts on it? What are your feelings about? It? I mean, I, I keep I keep my expectation for all things Star Wars low, at very low level. So, yeah. um, and the trailer was very well done. Mm. And it, it it gave me the feels. It got me excited without really revealing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's definitely a, it, what I thought was a lost art form when it comes to trailers. Yes. Yeah. Just they just want to show you the entire movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That's. Uh, and I try and avoid avoid them. My buddy Bob is the same thing. He tries to avoid. Tra- I mean, he will even because he goes to more movies than anyone that I know like it's it's towards the end of April right now and he's seen about 90 movies so far this year um wow but he will oftentimes go late so that he can get in just when the last trailer is ending like he'll ask theaters like when does the actual movie start and like duck in then um yeah he he tries to avoid him at all costs Uh, you did notice the laugh at the very end yep. of it, right? Yeah, which um, I didn't even need to see the trailer because that just splashed all over. Well, it was funny because when that came up, like I post something on social media just about you know Palpatine being back, yeah, 
and a bunch of people were like, how do you know? I think it's probably Snoke. And I was like, well, Ian McDermott was at Star Wars Celebration confirming that he's in Episode <laughs> 9, so that's how I know that yeah. Palpatine's back. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder... It, it did not sound like Andy Serkis. So. No. Um, well, and I also, like, because since Disney's taken over Star Wars, their, their thing to do is to have surprise appearances from people in the past, so I have a feeling we're going to see at least one other familiar face that wasn't revealed, and I'm I'm not even trying to speculate, I just, I'm like, okay, well, if they're putting that in the trailer, that's not going to be the big surprise. Right. It's going to be Mace Windu, is my guess. Right. Um, uh, I mean, because they did a good job, uh, sorry, if you haven't seen uh, The Last Jedi, um, it's going to be a spoiler, but you clearly don't care about Star Wars. Yeah. Um, the, they did a great job of keeping Yoda a secret uh, yeah. the first time I saw that. Um, yep. Uh, did you see Solo? Yeah. Okay. Because I still, it's funny, I I know a lot of people who still haven't seen it, and I was like, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's, to me, it's the least essential movie. I mean, it's it, it's fun. Yeah. It, it's in the Star Wars universe, but the least interesting character in the Han Solo movie is Han Solo, which is a problem. Yeah. Uh, but also, nobody asked for a Han Solo origin film. Nobody wanted it. Um, and I was like, as much as it was fun, I was like, that's not in my head how I pictured Han Solo and Chewbacca meeting. It's not how Han Solo and Lando met and the type of relationship they have. So, but it doesn't matter. And I, I didn't want to see the the Kessel Run. Mm-hmm. Just keep that. Keep something a friggin' mystery. Okay? Right. Yeah. Because no matter what they show, it's not gonna live up to whatever in your mind you have right. or. I don't even have anything. Like, yeah, I had it nothing being in my a mystery mind. was the most interesting part. Just, of it. just an expression because it wasn't a plot point in the original film. It's uh, he's like, oh, you haven't heard of the Millennium Falcon? It's the ship that made the Kessel Run in under twelve parsecs. <laughs> that was that it. doesn't mean anything to anyone. <laughs> right? And a million nerds over the last four years have like, oh, let's figure out what that means. Oh, dude, don't you know that twelve parsecs is a distance of? I'm like, yeah. Shh. No, I didn't know that because none of that's real. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but I also like recognize that that's how some people enjoy those things. So, yeah, like, sure. you know, whatever. But I mean, I would have far preferred a Lando Calrissian movie with a brief appearance by Han Solo mm-hmm. because, I mean, we already have a great Han Solo movie. It's called The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, because, you know, and I, I said that to a friend recently. I was just like, when we first meet Han Solo in the cantina on Tatooine, I don't care about anything that he did before that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Because his whole character arc is in those three films. Yeah. Uh, and I, Because he's like, I'm like, oh, so he's, he's a, you know, cares only for himself, you know, uh, mercenary outlaw because a girl broke his heart mm-hmm. 10 years ago? Nope. Don't buy it. Yeah. Don't buy it. Yeah. Um, having said that, though, I am looking forward to The Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. Sounded like some hesitation in your voice. Well, I'm just... Uh, like someone in an article made what I think might be a good point. I don't know. Oh, 
reserve judgment until the Mandalorian comes out, but they, he, he or she, I can't remember what it was, was, was saying that they should stop making these, these movies that focus on characters we've already seen, you know, they've, they've already been fleshed out to one degree or another. Right. Um, let's see some new people. Let's right. see some new characters and explore different parts of this universe. Although the Mandalorian that's in it is not Boba Fett. Oh, it's not. No. Okay. Oh, no. all right. So, um, and erase, that's erase everything I just said. And that well, and that was because they were because the next uh, quote unquote solo mo- Star Wars movie that they were going to do was Boba Fett origin, yeah. and I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. Because whatever you come up with is going to be dumb, and I also I don't want you to make. Boba Fett a likable character that's like that's totally defeats the purpose of that character even if you go like an anti-hero right it's still yeah because you have to to like him to some degree yeah and it's Disney so they're gonna have to you know sand off the edges somewhere sure Uh, but also the whole thing that makes Boba Fett intriguing is you don't know shit about him yeah and I, it, yeah, I don't. I don't want to relate to him because that's not the intrigue. I mean, because I have, you know, I have other Star Wars nerd friends who are like, "Oh, he's overrated character." Blah. I'm just like, he's not even a character. He's a mask and a cape. That's the. There's we, we know nothing about him. That's what's intriguing. I'm like, sure. I will totally cop to the fact that I think Boba Fett's cool because I think Boba Fett's cool looking, yeah. and he's, you know, he's. Uh, He's a reputation. He's not right. a fully formed character, and he's he's a one-dimensional representation of badassery. Right, and that's it. Yeah, he speaks very little. I mean, uh, and and I mean, I think that was part of the intrigue of Darth Maul too. Is like he barely spoke in those movies. Yeah. you know, he's shrouded in mystery, and then he gets cut in half. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, yeah. So the Mandalorians just. Another Mandalorian uh, uh, bounty hunter mercenary, and and it takes place in the time between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So, and that's a time period that we haven't seen anything of, and you know it's thirty years. So, and one of the things that I like is one of the one of the characters in it is IG eighty eight, the um, the bounty hunter droid from The Empire Strikes okay. Back. These and what's that? Yeah, are they considered assassin droids or just? Yeah, like yeah, the one with the narrow. Yeah, the yeah. whose head was the drink machine from the cantina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Tika Watiti is doing his voice, okay. uh, which is pretty cool. And Tika Watiti also is directing an episode or directed an episode of the series, and Bryce Dallas Howard directed an episode of it. So wait. Of, of the Mandalorian, it's going to be a series. Yeah, it's a series. It's not oh, a movie. Yeah, it's for okay. for the Disney Plus channel. Oh right. So it's the first live action Star Wars series. There also there's also a Cassian Andor live action show, which I would not care less about. Um, it's so uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of the actor's name. The guy who played Cassian Andor is playing him again, okay. and then. Uh, uh, the guy who did K2SO is also doing his voice. So it's basically them before Rogue One. But again, part of the appeal to Rogue One was it had a beginning, middle, and end to it all on its own. Right. It, it added a little bit to 
the story, you know, it, it was an offshoot of it, but it wasn't necessary to enjoy the original series. Yeah. And which is what I thought they were going to do with the anthology films anyways. And then Solo was like, oh, no, 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 this is an important part of the story. It's not, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but um, so, you know, I was kind of in a weird sort of way. I was actually kind of glad that Solo lost money. Uh, it's, mm. it's the first like financial bomb that Star Wars has had in, yeah. you know, 40-something years. But I also feel like the fact that Solo didn't make money has very little to do with that film itself. It's because of The Last Jedi and how divided people were on it. Mm. I don't know. We've talked about Star Wars quite, quite enough. Well, you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are you still doing... Are you still doing theater out there? No, I haven't. I haven't done theater since um, uh, 2017. I went to Shakespeare. Is that in, was that a conscious decision or just nothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had been going pretty strong um, every summer with theater one way or another for basically for a like a decade you've been doing yeah pretty yeah pretty regularly um, and last year I wanted to take summer off and I've kind of lost momentum yeah um, but I picked up momentum in another project me Kevin Berenger and Callan Wigan are designing a role playing game system Nice, which is kind of full circle for... Well, I mean, when I talked to you in a year and a half ago on it, because way back when, probably 10 to 15 years ago, you had talked about moving out west, mm-hmm. trying, you know, wanting to get a job with Wizards of the Coast. Right. Um, uh, yeah, because you've always... I mean, you've certainly been involved in gaming for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. I didn't know you guys were working on that. Yeah. In fact, just yesterday we had a playtesting session with Eric. Nice. Um, and it went really, really well. Um, and uh, pretty soon Kylan is going to be introducing it to one of his role-playing groups. Um, and I'm and Seattle is a tabletop gaming city. As right. Well. I mean, it's more of a... a, a video game city but also tabletop is super huge there um, especially given that just south of the city is the home of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering right um, so there's a lot of opportunities for me to do playtesting and once we actually have a full game together can market it out there nice. relatively easily um, there's tons of tons and tons of conventions um, in and around the city all year long so, um, yeah, and we we want to we know we're the most likely scenario is we're going to lose money, whatever money we put into it, we're not going to see it again. Right. Um, but we all talked about that and we're like, we want to do it anyways. It's right. something we want to say we have done. So. Well, and that's I don't know to to me that's the difference between an artist and someone who's doing art as a career is you're going to do it regardless if you're making money and sometimes to the great hindrance of making money yeah. it's just it's your passion right. so um, you know that's that's because I've, I've said to people before I was like yeah if you want to piss off an artist 
refer to their passion as their hobby. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll 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 lose friends there. Yeah. Uh, so how 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 difficult is it work doing a collaboration thing uh, being three thousand miles away? Um, actually, it's going just fine because we just get online, um, do video chat. Yeah. And um, we use Google Drive. Um, Share documents we can and all, stuff like that. Yeah we, yeah, we all simultaneously access it, and we can see any edits in real right, time right. that anyone is making, so that makes it super easy. Nice. Um, uh, doing a playtest in person yesterday, I was like, man, I wish we could do this all the time, because it was right. extremely productive. Um, was it all but, three of you doing it with, with uh, Yeah. Eric. Yep, Kyle and Kevin came over. Um, they took time off of work to do it because um, we're all fucking. We are so we're so excited about this. Like it's it's nice. going so well, and we think um, though the the market is kind of saturated right now. Like there's a million and one RPGs out there because it's so easy. Right. There's so many online tools, free and low cost to to publish anything you want to publish right um and so we're not we're not going to claim that this is a completely original idea but right it's it's a combination of things that we've been influenced by and i think there's pieces of it that are unique um and uh yeah it's going really really well so do you have uh do you have a sense of like a timeline when it might be something that someone in the general public might be able to play or is that still kind of it, it's still it developing um, I know it's hard it's to tell a, with stuff like this but it is um, however it, it it would be very valuable if we were to set a time um, I think the, the best thing we could do is say okay this is the convention that we're going to go and like do a, a like a beta reveal kind of thing Right, and then that that can be then working backwards from that we can create um, goals. But uh, yeah, right now we're I think we're at a point where we're all I think we had to give it enough time where we knew that this was actually going to be a real thing. And at this point, we've been working on it for over a year now. Um, and I think at this point, given the success that we've achieved and the fact that we've, been, we've consistently worked on it for so long, yeah, um, I think we can say, all right, let's let's set a goal because we're all serious about this, right? Because um, we've the three of us have tried a couple times before to do something like this, and it just kind of hasn't right. But we we came back to this and we're like, you know what, we. I think this is the thing we need to do, um, and we need to be serious about it. Yeah. Let's really give this a try, and that's exactly what we're doing. So, um, yeah, maybe the next time you interview me, I'll have a better answer for that. Gotcha. Do you have a? Do you guys have a name for it yet, or do you have a name you want to go public with? Not yet. Um, I I don't think they would. Either of the guys would mind. We're. Um, it's. We started with uh, the Valor system. The Valor system? Yeah, but that's already been taken. Okay. Um, another RPG has, has that name. And we were all really getting used to that name. And then Kevin 
did a little more research and found this other game that, that has that. Um, so we're like, ah. And the original name we're going to go by is taken from a mechanic from the game, but we were like, no, we don't want to use that one. But we went back, and it's it's called Breath and Blood. Breath and Blood? Yeah. Nice. And the reason we didn't want to use that um, is because people, if it actually becomes something, it could conceivably call, be called B&B. And we thought that was too obvious, but now we don't give a shit. Right. Um, because it's, it really, like, thematically... Ties everything It together. just, it's, it's what it should be called. Right. Um, because Breath and Blood is, like, if you think about hit points in D&D, the health of a character, mm. that's what Breath and Blood is. Right. Um, and it's meant to be a universal system that can and it can be dropped into any genre. Right. Uh, but no matter what genre you put in it, your character is going to have breath and blood. Right. And, and it makes you know it's it's that part is universal across right. the board. So I think it's a good name, and I think we're going to stick with it. Plus, you have a future um, like cross promotion opportunity where if it really takes off, and you want to. Uh, you could like set up places where people could stay the night, have a meal in the morning, and have a little B and B, B and B. Uh huh. Yep. We. It's you know, like, really me. weird because Kevin and I just had that conversation. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, we all have similar stupid senses of humor, right? Too, right. So. Well, the, the difference between us and Kevin is Kevin wants to open a B and B where that's that's right. the theme. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> no, no, no. I know you guys are joking, but, but hear me out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's funny. Well, it's fun, when you were talking about like it's so easy to publish stuff now. Like, I think that's really true because just I mean, not just gaming, but music sure. and film and everything. There's and novels and so yeah. much content. Sure. And I don't think it's all of a sudden in 2019. There's so many more ideas than there have been. I think it's just the internet has leveled the playing field for so many things. Yeah that it's so easy for everyone to do stuff. But it's weird, too, because I feel because there's so much available content, it's more difficult sometimes to find stuff, discover stuff naturally, and also find the good stuff. Because, you know, it used to be movies, for example, you know, the, the top... You know, five percent of ideas, or you know, someone's idea of what the best ideas got made into movies. Now, basically, almost every idea for a movie gets made because someone can. You know, you can make it on some budget level. <laughs> Bless you. Um, so, I don't know. I look at it as like both a positive and a negative at the same time. Yeah, I think it's just our uh, our focus has shifted or it needs to shift more from what's what's the new idea to what's what idea has right the most value because there's like now more than ever there is truly nothing new under the sun it's just variations of formulas and themes and whatnot um, but some are better than others for sure and if we can find the things that we find valuable like that's the that's the struggle with the internet is um, 
finding a way to to trust. Like you can't trust a a, a search engine to give you the thing value. Right. It's just going to throw back um, all the shit that it wants to as far as it, you know the advertising right yeah dictates. it's got its own agenda right it has its own agenda and also even if it doesn't it's just an algorithm right um so what's the best way to find the value you need and that just takes time and yeah. people are fucking lazy right <laughs> well it's funny because you know when i listen to like a music station or something i always get offended because it's like oh you like this you should listen to this. I'm like, I don't like that dog shit. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. uh, because so much of what I enjoy about like a particular artist or whatnot is an intangible thing. And they're like, oh, well, this band also has loud guitars and songs about hill giants. Yeah. <laughs> so don't you like that? I'm like, no, that, that's, that's not it. That met my hill giant quota. Um, like I took the time when I, when I was on Pandora, I took the time and I really tried to get the algorithm to understand what I like. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, it did. And, and I was impressed with that. But I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they have to do to improve that kind of thing. It, it comes down to some really deep coding. And is it even possible to create an algorithm? I think it's possible, but I also think... There, there are going to be limitations based on what available content they have, but also because they have paid sponsors. Right, again, that, it comes down to advertising. Yeah, and yeah. it's and a lot of people don't know that certain like labels pay Pandora to promote their artists. So they're like, oh, if someone's listening to uh, Mumford and Sons, well, you know what? Every forty-five minutes, why don't you play a Red Hot Chili Peppers song? <laughs> Well, because I don't like, nor should anyone like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2019. Like, well, that's cool. We're Warner Brothers Records, and we're going to pay you half a million dollars. So you go ahead and play that Chili Peppers song. Yeah. So if you're listening to something, you're like, what in the, What does this have to do with it? Uh, I, like, oh, I, right. Both the singers dated Ioni Sky. That makes... Sure, thank you. That's the algorithm. But, like, yeah, and so that's that will throw off, like how the algorithm actually works and stuff like that yeah I mean and you know we all know about iPhones you know listening to everything we're saying and I I, uh, Greg and I did an experiment like a year ago where we 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 actually wrote it down and we're like let's talk about this and see and we so we started talking we started casually just mentioning Val Kilmer for a while yeah uh, for like two days and then I just started getting ads for Val Kilmer movies on Amazon and stuff like that it was just one of those things because it was like I mean Val Kilmer's fine I just you know I was just like all right let's see if this actually worked right yeah uh Hey, you know, the, the scariest thing about that is how no one's scared. Right. Like, people learned about it and they're like, oh, really? Wow. And then just went on with their day. I had, uh, And I did the same thing. Right. I'm sure this thing is listening right yeah, now. It's well. like pinpointing where we're at and they're going to send right. their, their drone assassins to get us. Right. It's a, This is a, a Google phone, so they're even more equipped than Apple is to do right. that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Um, I... I overheard a coworker yesterday who's she's probably at least ten years older than me talking about the whole thing about uh, you know the, the, the cameras and the phones listening and she's just like I hear all these young people complaining about it but 
he's got nothing to hide. Why should you care? And I like I, I hate that argument because I'm like, well, it does. It's not about if you have anything to hide or not. It's your like, right to privacy. It's your right to privacy, and like that's a commodity that we're like happy to give away now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a it's amazing. Like I, I'll be interested to see the you know when our generation's children are adults who their entire lives have been documented on their parents social media like I, like I I legitimately think that's going to be something that's brought up in like therapy and whatnot is like I have no privacy because all these strangers know everything about me for the first 18 years of my life yeah yeah um I mean, it's weird because we're kind of in the Wild West as far as social media because we are the, I mean, we're really the last generation to remember what life was like before social media. And I mean, I even find myself doing stuff in my day-to-day life and I'm like, oh, I have to take a picture of this post. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's like social media doesn't have to validate things in your life but and you know and saying that as someone who posts a shitload of stuff online there there's actually like every once in a while I'll be like no this is just for me that's fine and well it's good that you can still do that yeah it's weird because it's like because I have a couple um, friends who I spend time with who aren't on social media at all and usually I won't even like mention that we hung out or anything but or sometimes I will and but I'll also be, like, vague about posts. And, uh, uh, it's funny. I don't remember what the post was specifically, but I was very vague about something maybe six months ago. And Jen Rowe, uh, Jen Rowe Horton commented. She's like, what do you mean by this? Can you explain more? I'm like, I feel like I'm someone that overshares sometimes. So if I'm being vague, it's for a reason. Yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, I'm just like, and also it's like, it's not my specific story to tell. So it's, you know... But, yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting in 50 years to people look back and be like, oh, man, 50 years ago, people did this online yeah. and they didn't realize that this and this. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of a, an explosion of sharing and data. And, yeah. And, and we're, we're not completely aware that that's what's going on. Right. And it's, you know, hopefully... Um, just like any other craze, it's going to settle and it's going to turn into something that most likely will be, hopefully will be more benign and maybe even, um, helpful and advantageous. Right. But, uh, right now we're just at the peak of this craziness. Yeah. Learning how to deal with this technology. I, I wonder if it's going to be like, like how we deal with social media now in 50 years is going to be how we look at like those old timey ads for like cigarettes and they're like yeah. smoke for your health and right. stuff like right, that right. yeah because well, like you said the, the psychological impact yeah. will eventually be studied more and more and the, the consequences will be more widespread right. and more people will know about it because of social media right? and, uh, and so maybe changes will be made the upswing in serial killers in the 2030s was a direct result of you know all of these people Mark Zuckerberg yeah 
Yes, as of 2035, 40% of the United States population are serial killers. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be tough. That'd be tough just to find people to kill. Mm. Like, I was going to kill you, and you're on your way here to kill me. Damn it. All right. Split the difference. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just maim each other a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. You take home a finger, I'll take home a toe. Mm-hmm. So is there, because um, you've been out in Seattle, what, two and a half years? Yeah. Well, the city I've been in almost a year and a half. Right. And then on the island for a year. Right, but you've been in the Pacific Northwest for about two, and know, two and a half years. What, um, for someone who, because you spent the bulk of your life before that in New England. 45 years. Yeah, yeah, um, What's... You know, is there stuff that you miss about New England that they don't have out there? Like, what what would you compare and contrast to? I mean, you know, in Seattle is a city that I've visited quite a bit too, and it's it's one of those, I almost went to school out there, and yes, yeah. I'm still with with the job that I have now. It's it's there's so many Trader Joe's. There's yeah, there's so <laughs> many that I kind of took the job with the because I've had in the back of my head for like a year now that I'm like I think. I'm going to relocate again at some point because, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'll be 44 this year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, so, you know, trying to be more health conscious, like, you know, working on losing weight, being more active and stuff like that. So I'm just like, well, I'm best case scenario, I maybe have 40 more years. Like, you know, but realistically, given my family's history, health history and whatnot, I was like, it could be 30, it could be 25. Mm. And I was like, so I've got like seven or eight areas that I'd love to like live in for a few years. So I'm like, sure. Yeah, maybe every like three or four years. But, and that's one of the places I'm considering. And I was like, well, Trader Joe's a great company to relocate with. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, what, what is it about the area that, that you love that drew you to it? Uh, and I know part of it was your acting thing. Part of it was Zora. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what brought you out there. But I know you had also, you know, had an affection for that area before you even met her. Yeah. Um, I, I had gone out there um, two or three times before I even knew about the Shakespeare Festival and uh, and it just seemed like like I uh, back then I felt like there was never going to be a city that I would want to live in mm-hmm. and that was mostly because because of living an hour north of Boston which is a shithole <laughs> um, for for all my life and also living in Manhattan for a couple of years which is an awful place to live right um, I thought oh this is what cities are like I don't want anything to do well I would imagine living in Man- Manhattan will test your mettle as a human being oh god like, anybody yeah. yeah you have to be a certain kind of person to enjoy living in that environment yeah everyone I know who loves living in New York City specifically I'm like alright I'm, I'm not turning my back on you <laughs> yeah but um but then I went to Seattle and I was pleasantly surprised right. that, wow, this is a, a beautiful place. Um, and so, I mean, the biggest, the biggest difference is the environment in that, like, everywhere you turn, there's a mountain range. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing was, I just, 
I was ready to not live here anymore. Sure. Um, the biggest thing I miss about New Hampshire is like this guy and you, and yeah. it's the people who still live here who haven't agreed to come and live in Seattle yet. Right. Um, but I'm going to get them all. I'm going to get them all out there. Um, it's funny you is, should say that because that was like the biggest thing that drew me back from Arizona was the people. Yeah. And I like I had friends out there but it's I mean a big part of it's like the difference between someone you've been friends with for two, three, even five years and opposed to someone you've known for 25 years. Right. It's just you have a shorthand with them that you don't have to explain every reference that you've got mm-hmm. you know the stuff that drives you and whatnot. but and also Arizona's a shithole so that was <laughs> easy to leave yeah I mean it's beautiful to pass through and spend some time there but living there is just ugh. sure and also it just being you know uh, a, a sensitive liberal New Englander just being around where like 60% of everyone you passed on the street had a gun on them at all times. I'm like, okay, I get, you like guns. Look, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're wearing board shorts. Why <laughs> do you also have a gun holster on? <laughs> I don't know. Um, do you think, do you, like, do you feel like pretty settled there? Like, do you think that's good? Like, does it, is it feel like home to you? It's, it's really starting to, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like I could live um, like a, in any part or any part of the city or even just near it, and I'd probably be pretty happy. Nice. And another thing that really drew me originally, and it, 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 even more so now that we're working on this game is the is the opportunity right out there to take that former hobby more seriously yeah um, and and uh, possibly make a career out of it I mean that's that's always no matter how um, no matter how hard and how, how high the odds are stacked against something like that happening, um, I think for me and Kylan and Kevin, that's that's where we want to head. It's nice. None of us want to stay in our day jobs for the rest of our lives. And, right. Uh, this would be a great thing to achieve. Right. Well, and it's like like you said, it's you know, it's a passion too. So it's you got. It sounds like you guys are invested in it, regardless if there's going to be a financial return. So it'd be great if it it is, but right. it's something that you know, which which again is, I think, is fundamentally important for pursuing anything artistic. Is you're doing it for the love of it first, right. um, and yeah, and that's been like I've seen so many people, musicians, artists, so on. That if you're following a trend or pursuing a trend first it's I don't know like I think people who are truly passionate like as far as far as like people who consume your music or your game or your movie can kind of smell that out too and they're like oh well they're trying to do x y and z so whatever yeah, yeah and I think um and I know we're going to do we're going to make a lot of mistakes and until we're all the way through it 
we're not going to be able to see how we should have done it until we do it wrong. You know? Right. Um, and we're going to learn so much from this, uh, regardless of our success. Right. And it'll make it possible to do the next thing. Yeah. And, uh, and do it even better. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that, like, just the older I've gotten, I've picked up on is like. I don't know, like, we look at failure as such a negative thing in this culture, but it's it's the biggest thing that helps us. Like, nobody learns from success. Um, we appreciate it. Like, it makes us feel good, but, like, the thing that, like, keeps us striving to work harder and change our process is failure. And, I mean, it's, it's what teaches us. And it's also, like, it's funny, like, so... I, I work with a good age range of people at Trader Joe's and you know uh, there's a we, we just recently hired some new people and one of them's a 19 year old one of them's a 20 year old and we also have a couple people in their late 60s that I work with and it's all across the board but like I I, I work nights with the 19 20 year old and like you know we get talking a lot and you know, they're, they're going through, like, trying to find their first apartment and, like, trying to decide if they should move out of their parents' house yet. And I'm sure. just like, well, you know, and a couple of them are like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I can tell you what I think, but I'm only getting the information you're telling me. And not that you're misleading me, but it's, I'm only getting it from your perspective. And also, it's your experience. I was like, you know, it was 25 years ago I was your age. Yeah. The world has changed completely from that time right so my experience at that time is not valid to you and you also you can't tell anyone anything at the end of the day they have to we we, we all have to learn from our own experiences Mm -hmm. so you know the best advice you can give is choose make a choice stick with it yeah and learn from learn from it whether it's a failure or success right um, don't don't let failure stop you. Right. Um, don't let it taint your next your next decision. Right. Um, just learn from it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's it's ingrained in our culture. Like that's right from the get go. When you're a child, you only do good at school if you avoid failure. Right. When we should be taught at that age, right from the beginning, to try and fail and learn from it. Right. Not to not to get kicked out of school, but yeah, fail. Keep failing as yeah. long as we know how to learn from it. To, yeah. to look back and say, okay, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I'm gonna do it different this time. Yeah. Fail better. Fail better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I used to at art fairs. I would do these little four inch by four inch paintings that I would sell. And a lot of them were like Star Wars ones, pop culture ones, because it's an easy way to sell, f- make five bucks. Mm-hmm. But I started a couple years ago, I started in different fonts, would just write fail better on there. And, and you know, people would get a chuckle out of it, and I sold a lot of them. But I was like, it's really not supposed to be like a funny thing. I'm like, it's just learn from what didn't work in your past and, you know, build on it. And, right. you know, Fail better the next time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, ninety-five percent of 
every decision I've ever made in my life has ultimately been a failure, but <laughs> it's informed the next decision. Right. So yeah, the fact that we're and it's it's a it's a very human thing. It's the big picture is it's how we've survived mm. as a species. We're we're a part of the universe that can make those kinds of decisions and be aware of those kinds of failures. Yeah. It's, we should be embracing it, not telling our kids, nope, you can't fail, you can't fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I gotta go to the pee palace. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's probably a good spot to, to wrap up then, because I know uh, Forrest Whitaker here has to go get his car, too. Oh, right. So, and you're, you're going to Book and Bar to do some work? Yeah, I'm going to work on the game a bit. Cool. Uh, well, fantastic to see you. I mean, we'll talk more after we stop recording, but sure. uh, you got to un- un- unleash some urine. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have to relieve a bladder. Yeah. Perhaps I will Perhaps I will see you on my West Coast journey this, this fall. Yeah. Yeah, let me know. You'd be, yeah. n- be nice in, twice in, in, in one calendar year. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. Scott. <laughs>